as believers, we are to be joy-filled, joyful people. Now, I'm afraid evidently some of us didn't get the message on that, uh, but as believers, we are to be glad. That's what the Bible says. We are to be happy. That's what the Bible says. We're to be thankful. That's what the Bible says. We're to be rejoicing. That's what the Bible says. As believers, we are to be a joyful people. Now, that is the truth. That is the truth of Scripture. As believers, we are to be a joyful people. And the reason is we have hope. Now, I want to tell you today, whatever our situation is, whatever our lot in life is, whatever is going on or whatever we are facing, as believers, we have hope. And that hope produces in us great joy. Now, I want you to see this. We have hope, and that hope stands. Now, the Bible says that it serves as an anchor. That hope stands because it is not in a situation. It is not in a result, hoping that something would get better. It's not in a condition that we would never get sick or we would never have trouble. That hope stands because it is in Jesus. We have hope, and that hope stands. It's not based on some circumstance. That hope stands because it is settled in the person of Jesus Christ. Our hope is in Jesus. Therefore, our hope endures, and our hope stands, and therefore, we are a joyful people. Friends, I want to tell you, and one of the great joys of a hope set on Jesus as we've been singing this morning, is that one day, and I'll just tell you, it's going to be very soon, we're going to be with Jesus. One day, very soon, we will be with Jesus. Did you know that's an actual day? Did you know that day is actually coming free from sin, free from the consequences of sin? We will eternally be with our King, Jesus. Today, we're going to continue our study of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Today, in our study, we move into the 21st chapter, and today our message is entitled, New Again, New Again. Today, we're in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. New Again, Revelation chapter 21, today, verses 1 through 8. I'm going to ask you, if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. New again, beginning in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe every, away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers 
and immortal, immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars. Their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today and we rejoice in a hope that stands. We rejoice in a hope that endures because it is founded and built upon our Savior Jesus. Lord, I pray today as we come into your presence, as we come uh, to hear your voice today, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray, Lord, that we would be built up today, encouraged today. I pray it wouldn't be just the passing on or the explaining of information, but it would truly be a supernatural event. And I pray, Lord God, that you would speak through your word today. Lord, I pray as the church that we would be prepared, built up, readied for the days in which we exist. And Lord, I pray if there's some that are gonna hear this message here in person, maybe in some other way that haven't trusted you as their Lord and Savior, I pray, Lord, in the hearing of the gospel of, of your grace, the gospel of your kindness and your love shown to us in the person of Jesus, I pray that today they would respond in faith for your namesake and for your glory. Lord, we give this hour to you, it is yours. We ask that you would move and you would work through it. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I'll just go ahead and tell you today, our verses today are awesome. Uh, our verses today are very hopeful verses. Uh, I, I wonder how many hospital rooms and how many funerals that these words have been spoken at. Uh, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Again, awesome verses. But I want you to see as we look at them today, as we read them, as they are, as they are preached today, I want you to see this as we pass through them. God in his grace is still calling for a response. Now we get to these verses, we're excited about these verses, but we need to be sure today as we read through them, God is still calling for a response. You see, in these verses, there is still a response, a call uh, that is made, and that call is to believe. That response is to come to Jesus, take the water of life, and he will give it, and it will spring up into eternal life. In these verses today, I want you to be sure, there is a call today. There is a decision to be made today. I want you to also notice in these verses, still in these verses, there is a warning today. And that warning is this, you can reject Christ, but if you do, you do so at your own peril. If you do so, you will perish. And so I want you to also see as we pass through these verses today, there is also in God's grace a warning today. Do not reject our Savior, our hope, Jesus. Friends, as we study these awesome verses, be sure today there is a decision to make. Receive Christ and live. Reject Jesus Christ and perish. There's a decision to be made. All right, let's go to our verses starting in verse one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. The verse starts off and it says, then. Understand today this is the next thing in a movement of subsequent events. That's what we've been passing through. This is the next thing to happen. As chapter 20 ended, 
following the thousand-year reign of Christ, following the great white throne judgment of Christ, by Christ, Satan has been cast now into the lake of fire. The Bible also tells us that death and Hades, they have also been cast into the lake of fire. Then the Bible concludes that section of the 20th chapter by telling us all of those whose names are not found in the book of life, they are also cast into the lake of fire. Now I want you to understand what's happening here as we transition from the 20th chapter now to the 21st chapter. At that point, sin has been judged. At that point, its full penalty has now been enforced. Now that's a big thing. That is a profound thing. You see, where sin entered in all the way book in the book of Genesis and then brought ruin to God's perfect creation, here at the conclusion of the 20th chapter, sin is now punished and sin is removed. Now that's a big thing. Starting with the sin of Adam, sin is endured through all of the generations. Now here at the end of the 20th chapter, it is punished and it is removed setting the stage for the next event. And so we have that word, then. Sin is punished, sin is removed. Then, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. The Greek word for passed here, it means departed, gone away. In chapter 20, it means fled away. It's used as fled away. It has departed. It is telling us here the old heaven and earth existing in sin, suffering in sin is now departed. It has gone away and in its place is found a new heaven and a new earth. It says also, and there is no longer any sea. Now I'll just tell you this, it's kind of, it's kind of funny to me, it's kind of comical to me, but I'll just be honest with you here. No one knows why there is no sea. Uh, I don't really like the sea. I get seasick when I'm out on a boat. It's not that big of a deal to me. But there's a lot of speculation about why there is uh, no sea. Uh, I read where the sea has always served as a boundary. Uh, the sea has always served as a point of separation. Uh, John, the author of the book of Revelation, has for years now looked across the sea that is separating him on the Isle of Patmos uh, and, and his old life, his old church back in Ephesus. And so he was separated by that sea. Well, now in the new heaven, in the new earth, those boundaries are gone. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. Verse 2, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. John here sees a new heaven and a new earth, but the scene gets better. Now notice this, as we pass through our verses this morning, it builds on top of each other. I believe the verses get better as we move through them. Well, he sees a new heaven and a new earth, and now the scene gets better. He sees coming down from heaven, that's what he says, coming down from God, that's what he says, 
a new Jerusalem. Now, to understand the new Jerusalem, we need to think about the old Jerusalem. Now, I want you to think about this. Let's, let's consider this for just a second. Remember the city of Jerusalem. Uh, it, it was the vision and it was the joy of King David. Uh, sometimes it is referred to as the city of David. Uh, this city, Jerusalem, it was the capital city of God's people. Uh, it was a city that was built in such a way that it was to reflect his glory. It was a showcase of his glory. And so when you went to the capital city, uh, you would know what a mighty God he was. And so his glory was on display there in the building of the city. Not only that, it was a city dedicated to God. It was in scripture, it is here as well, called the holy city. Uh, it was set aside to God. It was dedicated to God. Now, we also know in the city of Jerusalem, there was also the temple built. Uh, it was to be uh, where God chose to dwell in the midst of his people. Because of that fact, there in the city of Jerusalem, worship was its central business. People came to the city uh, set aside unto God to worship their God. And that was the primary business of the city. It was a city dedicated to God, given to the very worship of God. Now, when I think about that, when we read about that, how magnificent was the city of Jerusalem? How awesome was the city of Jerusalem? Except sin entered into that city. And it didn't take long and sin entered in the city of the capital city of Jerusalem and adultery was found in that city and politics took root and they began to grip that city and greed began to motivate that city. Even dedicated to God, false worship came into that city. All the cultures around there, the lies of the false worship entered into that city, even entering into its temple. And so outside of that city, a cross was set up. And outside of that city, a grave was filled and then a grave was emptied so that one day the sin-marred hopes of that old city were replaced by the perfect splendor of a new city. Can you imagine that scene? Look, coming down out of heaven, there it is, the new city of Jerusalem, the holy city of God. It says, as a bride adorned for her husband, that is the illustration. A bride adorned for her husband. You ever watch a wedding? Now, I get a unique perspective up here. You ever watch a wedding? And I, I don't care who the bride is. The, the bride's coming and the church waits on the bride. And there's, there's a buzz in the crowd. And they're talking about, well, what'd you do today? Where'd you get those shoes they're talking about things and they're, they're talking about the weather, weather and there's a, a buzz going on, but everybody's kind of leaning over to this aisle and there's, there's kind of a, a glance over their shoulder and the, it seems the church is waiting on the bride to come and there, there's the soon to be husband and he's standing up here and most of the time he's standing there and he's nervous. He's kind of weirdly nervous. He doesn't know how to act. 
And there he is, and he's standing, and he's, he's looking, and he's, he's waiting on the bride to come. And it seems the whole room, the whole place, all of the, the wedding party, they're waiting on the bride to come. And the whole place leans in. And I always think it's crazy. We know it's coming. We know it's going to happen. But the doors open up, and there's the bride. And everybody responds in a surprise. There she is. That is the picture. And there is the new Jerusalem, and everybody's leaning in, everybody's looking. Oh, the marred old Jerusalem, marred in its sin. There's the new Jerusalem. And everybody waits. All right, verse three. Verse three is a great verse. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them. I want to read that again. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. There is a loud voice. I'll just tell you, I don't believe it's the voice of God, most likely not the voice of God. His voice starts in the fifth verse, I believe. But there is a loud voice. Maybe it's an angelic voice. There is a loud voice. And it is loud because there is an important announcement to be made. It is loud because it needs to be heard. Now, I can relate to that. That's how I preach. It is a loud voice. It's meant to be heard. There's an announcement, and it's meant to be heard. And it says, behold, that word means see. See, the tabernacle of God is among men. There's a loud voice. Hear this. The tabernacle of God is among men. To understand the tabernacle, we have to go all the way back to the Exodus account. You remember that account? They're, they're wandering around out there in the wilderness, and they have the tabernacle there, and it, it was detailed in its construction. It was ornate in its construction. It was an ornate, really, a tent, and it's where God led his people from. It's where his presence was there in the midst of their camp. And it was there, the Bible tells us, the Bible shows us, it was there for their comfort. It was there for their encouragement. Not only that, it was there for their protection. And they could look as they traveled along, they could look and they could say, God is with us and we're okay as long as God is with us and we don't know what's going on out here and some of these days are hard, but we see there God is in our midst. God is with us. And the announcement here is the tabernacle of God is among men. It goes on and says, and he will dwell among them. The word dwell, it's interesting here, it literally means to tabernacle. It's that same word, to tabernacle. It literally means to set up tent with or to camp with. Where you are there, he is camping too. He is in your midst, camping in your midst. And he will tabernacle among them. He will dwell among them, and they shall be his people. I think it is also very interesting that this word people, if you go to the original language, it is a very distinct Greek word that is plural. There are other words that are singular. It is a very distinct word that is plural. It actually means peoples. Now, I think that is an awesome thing. Remember the promise that was made all the way back to Abraham that said, and all of the peoples of the world will be blessed through his descendant. Well, here it is, and it is peoples, all of the peoples. 
and God himself will be among them. Now, folks, I want to just go ahead and tell you that's too much. And that, that really, I, we, we can sit here and there's a lot we're going to look at. There's a, a bunch more we could have looked at. But I'll just tell you, this, this one thing, that is, that is too much. This loud message, the message that is meant to be heard because is this, because of the work of the Lamb, God is with his people. And that's the message. You want to know what the truth is? Because of the finished work of Jesus, God is with his people. He's not distant or withdrawn. He's not on a mountain unapproachable. He is not hidden in a cloud. He is not covered by a veil. He is not up yonder. He is not across Jordan's bank. He is no longer separated by sin, but in the work of Jesus, he is with his people. God is with his people. Praise the Lord. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be among them. Verse 4, And he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, and no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. The first things have passed away. It says, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Now, I, I want to think about that. That is our God, the creator God over all things. And yet he is so individually involved. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. That is his desire. That is what he does. The Bible tells us there's no longer any death. No more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. Think about this for a second. Life on earth starts in tears. You ever there, the birth of your child? It sucks in a bunch of air, it turns pink. And what does it do? It bursts out crying. Life starts in tears. And then it moves forward in tears. And there are tears of heartache as we go through life. There are tears of separation. There are tears of disappointment. There are tears of regret. We pass through all of those years and then those lives end still in tears. And we've moved through all those years and everybody shows up and we surround a grave and we end that life also in tears. And the announcement is this, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. I thought about that. Notice it doesn't say he, there's no tears. He doesn't say that. I think sometimes we think, well, just suck it up and get over it. Notice he doesn't say there's no tears. It says he wipes them away. Listen, he doesn't say it wasn't hard. He doesn't say it didn't hurt. He doesn't belittle the pain that we've gone through. He doesn't, he doesn't deny that our hearts were crushed. No, he says that he's made an end to it, and it will be no more. It is over and he wipes away every tear from their eyes. It says the first things have passed away. The first things have passed away. The same Greek word for past is used in verse one is there, it means gone, done away with. The first things are gone, they are done away with. The word for first things, it means the former things, the things 
that were. Now, I want you to think about that for just a second. The things that were have now gone away. They are done away with. And there is no more anger and no more rage and no more war. And there's no more slander. And there's no more prejudice. And there's no more division. And there's no more addiction. And there's no more betrayal. And there's no more divorce court. And there's no, no more being estranged from your family members. There's no more empty seats at the kitchen table. There's no more for the former things have now passed away. Verse 5. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. As John sees all of this, God himself now speaks from the throne. He says that word behold again, it means look. And so God from the throne says, look, I am making all things new. Can you imagine that? God says, look, behold, I am making all things new. And then he said, right, for these words are faithful and true. This, this description was given to Jesus earlier. It means this. They can be trusted. They, they are trustworthy. They are reliable. And so understand what happens here in the fifth verse is God says, write it down, John. God says, tell it to them, John. Make sure they understand it, John. It is true. I am making all things new. What was wrecked in sin, where you've endured with broken hearts, write it down, John. You can take it to the bank, John. I am making all things new. Praise the Lord. Verse six is a great verse. I think I'm gonna say that on every verse. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. The same speaker, God himself says, it is done. Then he follows it up and he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I want you to see this. God says it is done, but more than that, he says here, or he shows us here, it is done in him. And so he tells us here, he is eternal God and he is before all things and he is over all, all things. And we know we can trust the words because we know we can trust the speaker of the words. He goes on, I want you to hear this. And he says, I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water with out cost. Now, throughout Scripture, the book of Isaiah, the book of Psalms, other places as well, thirst to thirst is speaking of a spiritual thirst. Remember in John chapter 4, to the woman at the well, he tells her of a living water. And if she could have that living water, that she wouldn't thirst any longer. And he said that living water springs up unto eternal life. And remember, as she hears that strange uh, dissertation, she says, sir, then give me that 
water. Well, get this here. God is telling us of this great victory. God is telling us of this amazing good news. And there in the midst of that, he makes it known to us once again that he has living water and he freely gives out living water. And if we are thirsty today in him, in our living water, we can find eternal life. I want to tell you today, that's the heart of our God. That is the grace of our Savior. From the very start all the way through to the very finish in his word, there is a call, turn to Jesus and he will save you. Turn to Jesus all the way through and he will redeem you. Turn to Jesus and in him you'll have eternal life. And so here as it's wrapping up, here's this great picture is being explained. There's again a call, turn to Jesus and find the water that springs up unto life. Oh, that our response will be, sir, give me that water. Verse 7. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. All the way through the New Testament and through this book of Revelation, we find that the overcomer is not the one who is strong. Sometimes we like to think that, well, you need to overcome, you need to be strong. It's not the one who is most resolved. It's not the one with great willpower. It's not the one who marks off a checklist proving somehow that they're regenerate and somehow they've impressed somebody that they've been saved. It's not that person. The overcomer is the person who is in Christ. Understand, we overcome through Jesus Christ, not of any work that we would muster up, not of any willpower that we would ever have. We overcome in the power and the person of Jesus Christ. In him, we overcome. Verse 7 says, the overcomer will inherit these things. This is an awesome picture. The word inherit, I don't know about that word, maybe some of y'all do. (laughs) there's no rich family members in my family. The word inherit means to obtain, possess, acquire by inheritance. It means they didn't work for it and they didn't secure it and they didn't earn it and they didn't even deserve it. It means it is theirs through Inheritance. I want to tell you the good news of the gospel is this. These things are ours because we are sons and daughters of God. Not because we've impressed anybody, not because we've done a bunch of religious things. These things are ours because in Jesus Christ, we have overcome. And as overcomers in and through Jesus Christ, we are heirs of the kingdom of God. And so the things you're hearing today, these are the inheritance of a grace-saved believer in Jesus Christ. Verse 8. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. It starts off with the word but. That is a conjunction of contrast. These things are offered in Christ. These things are enjoyed in Christ. But... 
the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, that means morally revolting, murderers, immoral persons, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, their part, their portion, their end will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. Let me tell you something. We read that list, and I think most of us say, as it should be. Isn't that what you think? You read that list, say murderers and adulterers and liars and, and immoral folks, as it should be. Yes, deservedly so. Friends, I want you to realize this. Outside of Jesus Christ, that's my list. And I don't know who you think you're fooling, but outside of Jesus Christ, that's your list. And outside of the righteousness that Jesus gives to us, I want you to understand that is our record. And those books, those deeds that'll, that'll show that we've rejected Christ, those are our deeds. That's our record. And I want to tell you, outside of Jesus Christ, that is our end. And we did earn it, and we do deserve it. And I want to tell you, praise the Lord, the Lamb made a way in the grace of God. And by faith in Jesus Christ today, we can be forgiven of every one of those terrible sins. Nothing is too great. By faith in Jesus Christ today, we can be redeemed, bought back from the debt of our sin. And I want to tell you, in the love of God and the power of a gracious God, listen to me, he has not just made a new earth and he has not just made a new heaven and he's not just made a new Jerusalem, the holy city of God, but I want to tell you, praise the Lord, he has made us new as well. In Jesus, we are new again. New again. Praise the Lord. And that is our hope, friends. That is our joy. In Jesus, we are new again. Friends, here's my call to you today. Heed that warning. Heed that warning. Hear that call. Come to Jesus. He will give you living water that springs up to eternal life. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come and I rejoice at such good news. I rejoice at such grace. I'm thankful, Lord, for the terrible things that I've done, the terrible sins, the list that I have that you've brought it out in your grace and your kindness by faith in Jesus that I'm forgiven, that I'm redeemed, that I'm restored. Lord, I'm thankful that that is offered to every sinner, everyone that would hear these words today. That your grace is offered to them. If they'll turn to you, you'll offer them your robe of righteousness to put over their sin. You'll forgive them of that sin. You'll save them, giving them eternal life. Lord, I'm thankful for that. Lord, I pray for two things. I pray for those who do not know you today, this very day, that in the hearing of this message, in the hearing of this good news, that today any, anything that would impede it would be removed, and today they would trust you in faith and be saved today, Lord Jesus. And I pray the second result of this message will be this. Those of us who have trusted Christ will understand what it is that we've been saved from and what it is that we've been saved to, and we would leave here as a joy-filled people rejoicing in our Savior, Jesus. Lord, let it bear fruit for your name and for your glory. Lord, as we come to this time of invitation, I pray that you've spoken. I believe you have. I pray that you continue to speak and work. And I pray the 
response of this invitation brings glory to you. I trust it to you, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close with a time of response, a time of invitation. And I want to tell you of all the things we've done today, all the great words out of God's word we've heard today, the most important thing we're going to do today is this, understand there's a decision to be made. That's why this message is preached. That's why this church gathers to present the gospel of Jesus Christ, to lift up the, the name of our Savior, Jesus. Let me tell you something. If you've never trusted Christ, if you'll turn to him today, I don't care who you are, don't care what your reputation is, don't care what your lineage is, don't care what family you came out of, if you'll trust Christ today, he'll save you today. He'll forgive you, renew you, restore you, redeem you today if you'll come to Jesus today. What that means is this. You understand I am a sinner. I have sinned. And I understand I have a payment for that sin, but I understand there's a remedy in the risen lamb, Jesus. And I trust him as my savior, my remedy. If you'll do that today, he'll save you right now. Just a moment, we're gonna sing a hymn of invitation. If that's you today, if God is speaking to you today, if you need more information, you come. Let's settle that today. Don't leave here today without that settled. Maybe you're here and you've put your faith in Christ, your trust in Christ, but you've never followed in believer's baptism. The Bible says it's not part of our salvation. It is a testimony to the Savior of our salvation, Jesus. And so maybe you'd come and say, well, I've trusted Christ. Maybe it was recently, maybe it was further back, but I've never followed in believer's baptism, and I want to be obedient to Christ, and I want that testimony to stand in my life. You come, and we'll set a day that'll be a great day of celebration, testifying to what we believe of our Savior, Jesus. Maybe you're here looking for a church home. You've prayed about it. You believe God has led you here, and you say, you know what, I, we, I, I come, we come, and we come to, to walk with Christ and a body of believers upholding the truth of God's word until he comes again. If God has led you in that, you come as well. Be a great day. We'll walk together until Jesus comes. Maybe you want to come pray here in an altar today. Maybe you want to come pray with me. Nothing is big. Nothing is too big. Nothing is too small. I'm going to ask that no one would head for an exit. No one would turn a stir around, but that you would pray for those who are making decisions. As we stand to sing, you step out. You come on. You pray for those that are making decisions. If you have a decision to make, you come on. I'll meet you here. You come.